So I've got Al Russ on the line. How you doing, Al? I'm doing great. So great to talk with you again. My Aza brother hanging out down there. Uh, really <laughs> good to connect with you. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's been a couple of years, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, really good to connect. And how's everything been going anyway? You know, with everything that you've been doing, because just for the, the audience, you know, Al is a best-selling author, a coach, podcaster. I could keep going down the list, right? But how's everything going? You're a busy woman. How do you, you know, how do you look so fresh? What's your secret? <laughs> Thanks. It's so great. Uh, yeah, life is good. Uh, don't know when this will be released, but currently we're going through kind of a heat wave here in California. So there's that. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's really fun. Uh, a couple of the areas I coach in other than, you know, I've been coaching in thyroid forever and, you know, life coaching people. But then I decided, you know, I've been mentoring other writers for years because I'm really good at helping you get your shit done, no matter what it is, like knock it out, get it done. So I started a writing program, an eight week writing program called knock it out, get it done. And I'm in my second, I'm starting my second one next week. And I tell you what, it, that has been so much fun uh, to, and it's limited to five people and uh, it's, God, it's been a really great projects ranging. Uh, the, the ages range from 25 to 73 and really interesting projects. So that's been really fun, really intellectually stimulating. And then also I created a confidence course as well. Cause I really don't want to just ignore the mainstream. Uh, whereas my private coaching may. So I, I offer a four week confidence course and I just uh, finished the first one. Incredible group of people, uh, literally life-changing for a lot of people. So I'm glad we're talking about this mm. topic today because so many people need help with this and sometimes it's in very small ways and it usually leads to larger but the truth is that you're never going to get what you want in life from the bedroom to the boardroom if you can't speak up if you're never also going to be able to draw a boundary and stop hanging out with toxic people if you can't yeah. you know speak up to say what you need what you want what you don't like so i find more and more as i go through this how many people really need this and some of them are people that on the outside appear quite confident. They have a confident job. They're confident in their abilities in their high power job. Yet it's the yeah. interpersonal relationship stuff and the day-to-day -day stuff where they lack the self-esteem or the confidence in these kind of areas. Yeah, environment is so important. Not just your physical environment, your emotional environment. Do you know what I've noticed as well, Al, not to go too much off topic, speaking of confidence, there's yeah. not many people that look like I'm doing now that look right into that lens when they're talking to you. You know what I mean? I can tell you've got- Just what I'm doing right now too. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm saying, right? This is the first time I've ever seen anyone really, because obviously you, you know, used to be an actress and stuff as well, right? So it's just that, I just wanted to put that out there, right? That's- uh, Well, it's funny you said that. I, I noticed I went on a date not too long ago and the guy could barely make eye contact. It's something people are very, very weird about. And it also is something that's a very confident move to make. You know, if you're about to go in and try to broker some deal or, you know, have a, you can lead a conference or a speech, you better look every one of those audience people, audience members in the eyes as, as much as you can and make direct eye contact. Mm. So I think that that's an important uh, test for some people, just a very small one. like. Are you blinking a lot? Are you looking away a lot when you're talking to someone? And then also, how are they looking at you? Can they hold eye contact? Mm. Um, those things matter. I look yeah, at that definitely. kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of, you know, your book, Confidence as F-U-C-K, right? I don't know whether to say the swear word in case I have to, you know, change. Okay. Whatever, uh, confident as we'll keep it. We'll keep it front and family friendly here. Let's yeah. keep it family friendly, just in case, right? Confident right. as F-U-C-K. So what inspired you, Elle, to write that book? Uh, so I've always been really confident. 
That being said, there are a lot of pitfalls to confident people, which I definitely had. And also I had an area in my life that really sort of tripped it up. So you can be confident in a few areas and not in others. So for example, I have a friend who's a famous artist. He's very confident in going and showing his work in front of people at an art gallery, but has trouble maybe communicating with strangers. Uh, so, you know, you may be shy in one area and not in the other. In my life, everyone has come to me for things like, how do I ask my boss for a raise? How do I tell that bully off at work? Or, you know, trying to get comebacks or, you know, I need to speak up to my neighbor about this. I don't know how to word it. I'm all of that stuff people have come to me for. And that might seem like, oh, I'm on the, you know, Oracle at Delphi looking down on the minions, but actually they taught me a lot about myself because they might have been more beta in a lot of ways, but they were more vulnerable. They were more accessible as a result of that vulnerability where alphas like you and I often technically aren't, you yeah. know, uh, we don't want to show weakness. We don't want to show vulnerability. That is a weakness. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. The other thing too, is that confident, uh, less confident people, while they might not, or why they might have issues speaking up, they usually are a little bit diplomatic. They're more diplomatic when they do. And What's interesting about that is that goes to a part in my book where I call choose your battles wisely. You know, you can't speak up about everything. You can't, you got to choose your battles wisely. And so that's something that highly confident people need to sort of refine their confidence. And we can learn a lot about that from, from people that are less confident, even the people who, uh, for example, uh, let's say beta, and I don't even mean that in a negative way, they receive help so much better. It's hard for a confident alpha to ask for help because we're like, yeah. ah, I got it. I'll do it. I'll do it faster. I'll do it better. Just give, I'll just, I'll take it. Yep. You know what I mean? And so there's so much that I learned from them, particularly the vulnerability element. Mm. Um, and so that is really why I decided to do it. Cause I realized, Oh my gosh, I've been doing this already for years. Mm. It's been part of my life coaching, but really part of just people coming to me, you know, in fact, uh, working at Primal Blueprint for 10 years with Mark Sisson, when people uh, wanted raises within the company before Kraft Heinz bought it, people would call me up. I think they were, you know, like they're afraid to go in and ask for a raise. Um, and it's really interesting because I think people too are somewhat intimidated by direct communicators, which I am. And so when you are a very confident direct communicator, people look up to you and they admire you and they're going to call you in an emergency and they want to be you, let's say, mm -hmm. but they also are kind of afraid of you. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So they're intimidated. And so there are ways to mitigate that. For example, I've learned over the years, I'm such a direct communicator. If I could start out every email with yo, and then just get to the point, <laughs> I yeah, would. Yeah. Yeah. But I found that like that offends people. That doesn't work with people. You got to gloss it up. You got to put some sprinkles on it. Yep. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just, I, I can communicate that way with other very direct communicators, yep. but yep. not, especially not over email or text or anything like that, unless you know me really well, because they're mm -hmm. like, oh, that's Al. So sometimes uh, when you're a direct communicator and you're really confident and you don't have any emotion behind what you're saying, but people take it as mean or you know, a negative. Yeah, so yeah. I found like that's one thing I've really had to refine as a very direct, confident communicator is just know my audience, engage who that person is, and then realize I got to gloss it up and hi, how are you? Have it, you know, I can't just go into like, yo, right. Yeah. But if I'm communicating with someone like Mark Sisson, let's say, who's a very direct communicator, it just call him up like, yo, what's up? Hey, it just, and then, okay, got to go by click. No one's offended. And I do like that form of communication, but not everyone yeah. else does. So that's something that I had to kind of refine. Yeah, exactly. And how much um, of confidence would you say? I know it's very a complex question, but how much of confidence would you say is like, I don't know whether it's nature versus nurture or how much of it is in your DNA, do you think, versus how much you develop through life, 
setbacks, environment, and all that kind of stuff? I know it's a broad question, but mm, what would you say? One. Well, that's a good one. So the truth is that confidence is not a fixed anchor within you. Your levels of confidence, the thoughts you think and the actions you take, and everybody can change that. So I've seen people, I have a friend who uh, did not have a friend until they were 35. They are now 52. Uh, they were so crippled, shy, terrible abuse as a child, neglectful parents that just shifted them off to a psychiatrist to kind of raise the kid. And he literally just couldn't even talk to anyone. Now, if you're at ground zero where most people aren't, but let's say you're at ground zero where you're so debilitatingly shy that you can't even talk to like a Starbucks barista or something, which, you know, that was his situation. Well, then you need to do something drastic like what he did, which is hire a social coach who takes you out into the world and like kind of helps navigate you starting conversations with people that work at places of business because they're going to be nice to you, right? They're going to be receptive initially than someone on the street who you would just meet. And that's what he did and he built it up piece by piece. If you met this guy today, you would never know, man. It's like the most extroverted, outgoing, talks to everyone person. People don't even believe that he used to be that shy. So it is at everyone's disposable. You can change your thoughts and actions. So confidence and self-esteem is within your reach. It tucks, just takes self-awareness. You know, it takes some practice. Um, for, I give you a real small example. The other day, there was a woman in my confidence course dealing with confidence issues, but real small. She's been getting her hair cut by the same person for years. But the person has been cutting her hair instead of straight across like she had liked it. She started cutting it, I guess, in a textured way, cutting the ends upwards or whatever it was, and she didn't like it. And she literally felt bad about saying something. So she's been getting her hair cut in a way she doesn't like you know, for, for a while now. And so I said, well, okay, this has to end. Uh, you know, you have to do this. Now, in that situation, you don't have to approach the hairdresser and go, hey, you know, I asked you a couple of times to cut it this way and you didn't. That's very critical approach, sort of. That's yeah. not going to win any friends. But you could easily go in and go, hey, you know what I was thinking? I kind of want to switch it up. I noticed you've been doing the textured thing. I kind of want a blunt cut. Let's try it out. And then I always say when you're about to do an uncomfortable thing that you're afraid of doing, have something else to say right at the end of it. So in her, so with her, I asked her, I said, well, in your last conversation, is there anything you could follow up with? You know, did she tell you something about her kid or is there something you could ask? And she goes, actually, yeah, she had given me some shampoo and uh, I really, really like it. And I'm like, great, boom. So this is what you do. You go and like, hey, just want to kind of switch it up, you know, da, 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 da. And then, and then makes the request and then right away goes, by the way, that shampoo you gave me was really, really great. I loved it. Thanks so much. And then like move on. You know what I mean? So sometimes you can have a little segue move instead of just stop and then wait. But yep. things can be approached in that way. So she went and did it and she finally got the haircut she wanted. Now people go, that's so stupid. Yeah, but that's real life. I know people that are deep spear fishermen. Uh, a deep, uh, talk about it in my book, this guy, John, deep, uh, deep sea fishermen. Real, you got to be real confident to do that job, man. Five miles out in the ocean with sharks. You're wrangling cool. 150 pound sea creature. It's like 3000 calorie burn an hour type of activity. Cool. Real confident to do that. And it's dangerous. He also is uh, an anesthesiologist. So he knocks out people and puts needles in their spine. Totally confident, completely. You can be confident in your abilities yet still be a people pleasing self-esteem garbage mess on the inside. He couldn't have a conversation with his neighbor. His nice neighbor was Pressure, going to pressure wash his house and he had just hand cleaned his house and he's sitting there worried about how the guy is like going to get his house dirty and what is he going to say to him and like literally going through all of these potential arguments fights with his neighbor in his head all in his head for about a week 
Yeah. And I said, well, you know, this actually could be cleared up really simply. Just go next door. And, you know, I said, is your neighbor nice? He's like, yeah, he's, he's a nice guy. I'm like, okay. So just go next door and go, hey, you know, I just washed my house. I noticed you guys, uh, you have some guys working on it. Um, is there a way that they could put up some tarps to protect my house? Or is there something you could do? And uh, see what he says. And he's like, well, that sounds easy. I'm like, because it, it freaking is easy. He goes next door and does that. And the neighbor's like, oh my God, absolutely. Not only that, but if we somehow screw up your house and get it dirty, I'll have them pressure wash it. Yeah, he suffered for a week mm. about a conversation with his neighbor, but he's out there sticking needles into people's spines. And he's so don't ever gauge someone's confidence by their profession. You could talk to 50,000 people on a stage you know, at an event and get off and not be able to have conversation with your loved one or your neighbor and still yeah. be a people pleaser with low self-esteem. So uh, the other pitfall there on thinking someone's confident is the people that are braggarts or barrel over or are mean because confident people encourage other people's success. They're mm -hmm. not jerks. So if you see someone, they're just, they're just a jerk bully that is misusing their confidence. That's all that is. And so a lot of people think confidence is outward, but frankly, and I'm sure you know people like this, Martin, some of the most confident people I know are the quietest people in the room. Mm, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And what you said was interesting then as well about confidence and self-esteem. So obviously people can be confident on the outside, confident in their abilities, like you said, but then obviously still have low self-esteem, right? So how would you kind of differentiate, you know, confidence versus self-esteem? You know, self-esteem is sort of, as Mark Leary, PhD in my book sort of put it, is it sort of encompasses, we all need to have at least one person that we feel, you know, we need to have one tribe member. And even if like you're the lonely recluse and it's the guy you buy the paper from at the 7-Eleven every day, but you need some sort of an interaction with, with, with someone yeah. in life. And we usually need to be feel accepted by a group to some degree. Um, but here's the thing, you could have really high, you could have no confidence in any abilities, but have high self-esteem because you're a wonderful friend and people love hanging out with you. And that's enough. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, now, confidence is a little bit different but you can be confident in yourself as a friend and have high self-esteem. I think confidence, um, you have to have both. That's why I wrote confident as F because you need a little bit of the outward, right? You know, yeah. in order to navigate and get what you want to speak up, but you also need it on the inside or else that you're going to be a total mess. And that's why I put as F sort of all encompassing, you know, and one of the interesting things about confidence is, uh, you know, and talk about paleo ancestral nutrition of which I, you know, wrote my first book on, it provides an evolutionary edge. It really, really does. Um, it helps us navigate challenges and tasks and social situations without pause. You know, it, uh, and the, the trouble is, is that nowadays we have the luxury of wallowing in self-despair, you know, uh, self-pity, uh, judgment, doubt. That was not the case in our hunter-gatherer ancestors' days. You know, like, uh, if you're by the well and the water's tainted and you're sitting there crying, Martin, I'm like, you're either, well, we're going to leave you for dead. We got to move on. Yep. You know what I mean? There yep. wasn't time for that. It's a modern luxury to be mm. able to wallow in this. Mm. And there's an interesting quote, and this might sound really brutal, but um, it's by a guy named Andre, Andre Debuse. And he says something about shyness that I think hit me because I think it's true and it's also harsh, but uh, let me just roll it out here. He said, shyness has a strange element of narcissism. The belief that how we look, how we perform is truly important to other people. So if you think about it that way from the person that's shy or worried, those people who are lacking self-esteem and confidence are always concerned about what other 
people are thinking. It is the yep. strange, like self-imposed, somewhat narcissistic view. The truth is people don't care. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. really don't. It's your projection of what you think people might think of you. And that 100%. is insanity. And one of the examples I give in my book is a woman who told me she was very discouraged with online dating. And she said, well, it's all this rejection. And I said, well, well what's rejecty about it? And she said, well, you know, I email these guys and like no one emails me back. It's a lot of rejection. It's like a real, you know, and I said, well, okay, let me ask you a question. What if you found out that every guy that never emailed you back was A, not the photo he posted, B, a wife beater, C, had a criminal rap sheet. Would you feel so damn rejected then? Or would you feel like you dodged a bullet? We know what her answer was. Well, of course I'd feel like I dodged a bullet. Right, so what she's doing is she's allowing her own self-esteem to be affected by her projection of what a stranger might or may not think of her and she knows nothing about them. Yeah. And on that dating note, I talked to a guy who had spoken with a girl for two hours, really great conversation. He was excited about meeting her in person. And he goes, uh, ooh, you know, my date's tonight. I really hope she likes me. And I'm like, nope, you're not going into the date with that. Nope, you hope you like her. You talked for two hours. We know nothing about her. You are going in there to see whether she's worth your time. Do you know what I mean? So yep, it's very interesting. We, we put our confidence and our self-esteem in the hands of strangers <clears throat> in those two scenarios, really, but particularly with the woman in dating. I yeah. mean, so she let herself feel bummed out about herself based on people. She doesn't even know if it's really the picture or whether they like mm -hmm. murdered their last We're girlfriend. so great at telling ourselves a story, right? This is something I talk to uh, about, you know, with clients all the time. And I still yes. fall into this trap every now and then. We tell ourselves a story, right? We make up these stories in our heads. And then obviously that becomes our reality, right? So like how, cause that's comes down to identity as well, right? This is something I have people come on, people who are more well-versed in this realm than me talk about mindset and identity and stuff like that. But I've been working on this stuff myself just yeah. with like, you know, even journaling and stuff like that. Like you said, self-awareness, but when it comes to how you identify, right. And I always talk to my clients, you know, when they come into my program, it's like they're upgrading their identity. It's way more to it than just getting in shape because the, the psychological element has to come first, right? So how would you say, do you, do you come across that quite regular? Would you say, Al, someone telling themselves a story because they identify as a certain way and, and then basically that becomes, like I said, almost like a reality, right? And then they're obviously talking themselves out, getting more negative thought patterns. I lost sound on you right now. There you go. Am I back? Uh, you're back. So you might want to re say that sentence. <laughs> okay. All good. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Great. This mic. Uh, sorry. I was just saying, um, how common is that where you find people tell themselves a story in terms of like, you know, they're identifying as a certain way and then they get caught up in their own head, like you said, and they're literally talking themselves out or getting this negative thought loop because they're making stuff up in their head based on past experiences, right? That's so common. Talk to my clients about this all the time, you know, because you can relate that to fitness and getting in shape as well, right? It's like, oh, you know, someone said recently, it was like, you know, this is not sustainable. You know, tracking my protein is not sustainable. He told himself this story. I'm like, it's two minutes out. And it's day. not going to be. <laughs> no, not forever. That's not what we're going to, that's not, yeah, exactly. That's not going to be the destination, but to start with, you know, that's a sustainable thing. So you can get the self But he's already setting himself up for failure. Yep right in that comment right like it's not sustainable meaning 
you're not going to be able to achieve this long term and you're just going to do it temporarily and then it's never going to work. So you're already setting yourself up for the disappointment. You know how often we argue for our failures. Yeah. Uh, that's another uh, section I put in the book. Um, I don't know why we do this, right? Um, we make these flippant comments like that, but they're really, that's setting himself up, his subconscious mind to sort of like be okay with failure or expect it versus be like, no, this is the time that it is going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. So identification, well, comes from a lot of places. So you have what I call parental garbage, you know, and one of the best examples of this, and sometimes it, see, here's the thing is we repeat patterns that are familiar to us, whether they're healthy or not, right? This is why we see a woman who grew up with a mother that got beaten by the father, and then she goes out and finds someone to abuse her and you go, how did this happen? Right? And it's, it's almost like, cause it's familiar to her. Um, not healthy. It's just familiar. When you take a crying baby out of the hands of the abusive mother and the cops are taking it away, the baby cries out for the mother because that's all they know. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we don't always make the best decisions and our subconsciouses get imprinted. Uh, there's an example in my book of a guy named Brandon, and this is how it affected his work life. And it wasn't necessarily a story he was telling, but it was a story that kept repeating in his past that then affected his job. So uh, Brandon is in his 40s and he's a contractor on various projects. And when he was growing up though, uh, well, what happened on the projects that something would always go wrong. He'd always get blamed for it, even if it wasn't his fault. And then he'd get yelled and chastised by the bully you know, manager on the project in front of everyone. And then he'd never say anything. So he was just like shut down all the time and felt really, you know, felt even worse, right? So we're talking about this and I'm like, you know, Brandon, uh, this doesn't happen to anyone else. I know this is very specific and it keeps happening to you. So, so like what happened when you were a kid, were you meant to be wrong Were positions of authority people like always saying you were wrong or were things going wrong? And it was just something really simple. They grew up in a, he grew up in a really, you know, middle-class house. Everyone got fed, no one got abused, but the dad was a little bit of a hothead. And let's say something went missing, he, like the hammer. He'd blame Brandon for stealing it. And Brandon would be like, I, I didn't take the freaking hammer and his dad would be like where is it then the dad would find the hammer and not apologize and this happened with a few things and i said all right well i kind of see where this is coming from so this person is repeating a story a pattern that happened to us that happened to him that he's not telling himself but that's a, a pattern i mean we do it if we tell ourselves we're imprinting it further mm -hmm. so what happened was is we worked through that stuff learning like hey you don't have to be wrong you don't have to attract this stuff but we knew that it would happen again on the job with this bully boss and so he had to take the steps to, to speak up. Now, of course, you have to worry about getting fired, things like that. If you have a mortgage, you know, you got to gauge when you speak up. But he was ready to finally beat this. So it happened again. Something went wrong. He got yelled at in front of everyone. And he said something to affect uh, to this manager. He said, hey, I'm not going to be spoken to like that. And if you talk to me like that again, I'm walking out of this job right now. That's it. Now, what happened in that situation was exactly what I predicted to happen. When you call a bully on their shiz like that, they usually just are stunned. They're embarrassed. They got called out. And he apologized, never did it again. Brandon then started to attract new work into his life where nothing went wrong where people would call him after jobs and go, this was the most smooth shoot we've ever had. This was amazing. But I always say when you have a long-term pattern like that or a story or a story that was imprinted on you that you're just repeating and you haven't identified it yet, if you overcome it, you're probably likely to get thrown a tester by the universe. And I told Brandon that I go, listen, 
You think you got it with one bully, uh, you know, pushback, but you're probably going to get it again. You're going to get tested. The universe is going to be like, are you really over this? And so had a bunch of great runs and then had another uh, new manager who kind of said something snippy and Brandon shut it down right away, called me. And let me tell you something. I wish I could bottle his confidence in those two moments because it always feels good to speak up. It always does. It's not to say that it's always comfortable. No, exactly. It's nerve wracking. So when is, when is, when is progress up, ever comfortable, isn't it? Yeah. It's never comfortable, but it becomes more comfortable the more you do it, right? And so I know, I know now that if Brandon ever gets patronized by anybody, you know, work-related or not, they're going to be like, hey, <laughs> no, not accepting exactly. that, right? Or whatever it. it is. He's built so that resilience and, and the thing now. Is that that I don't have that problem, right? I may have my other areas of work that I had to work on, but that is not one I have. I don't get patronized. I don't get spoken down to because I project that about myself and that's the energy I'm coming into each scenario with. So I really rarely have that issue. Um, so it really depends on what the person's issue is. Now, stories people tell themselves sometimes come from, again, their experiences growing up, their childhood, right? Or again, just experience as an adult. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trauma. Yeah, yeah. And 100%. so, so yeah. you know, I, it's, it's, it's interesting. Some people, and I don't even know specifically what stories other than the basic ones we would yeah. know. Yeah, because I, yeah. I actually, because I journal regular, right? And mm -hmm. with journaling, I'll, that's a question I'll, a lot of times I'll ask myself. Can you hear me okay? Yeah? Yeah. All good. Just want to double check. So basically I'll write, I'll, I'll ask myself that as a question at that time, do you know, what story am I telling myself right now? You know what I mean? And it's just, it really gets you thinking because a lot of the times, you know, we make stuff up in our head, we put barriers in the way and it's obviously just us doing that. Right. So well, you, I can think of one that I did that was like a, a, seems like a dumb one, but it's not. So I used to be not great at accepting compliments, right? Mm. Which is a little bit like giving the F you to the person complimenting you. It's like saying, no, that's stupid. You're ridiculous. So I had to learn over the years to not deflect compliments and just be okay with compliments. But anyway, many years ago, someone was, a couple of people have said things like if they found out I was single at the time, they would be like, uh, you know, I don't understand why you're single. Like you're so pretty. I'm, I'm so shocked. And, and so my way to deflect that compliment would be, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. But like the only people that hit on me are like the homeless guy down the street or like the, you know, da, 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 da. like I had this story, this deflecting that compliment story. And then I realized, Oh my gosh, no one ever is going to hit on me. <laughs> the homeless guy. I keep imprinting the story that the only people that ever hit on me. And you know, it's so funny. That's, a, good, like, that's a really good example kind of change that story and that's just a simple one yeah, you know yeah. and so people can kind of catch some of their stories by how you deflect compliments you know and again i've just learned to say thank you so much instead of someone like that's so pretty and you're like oh this thing i've had it for 10 years like you know kind of just poo-pooing on it or deflecting it somehow trying to you know shuffle it away where now i just say thanks so much but i think it was always a little bit awkward for me for people to compliment me on my appearance or something like that. And who knows why, but that was a story that I told for a while. And I was like, Man, I got to stop telling that story. Not only is it a downer, but also I'm kind of giving that few to the person complimenting me. That's not very nice, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and then also, Ooh, I do not want to keep imprinting that, that the only people that hang on me are, you know, exactly. Cause you could yeah. potentially be like, you know, reject, not, not rejecting people, but obviously pushing people away a bit. Right. Because Obviously, you got that kind of story and that shield almost, isn't it? But you talk about, we always talk about lifestyle, right, L, How yeah. important lifestyle is, you know, with lifestyle, basically, you know, your sleep, 
your stress management and your environment, right? So with your environment, confidence, self-esteem, how you think about yourself, how you identify, just like we just talked about, right? Because I always talk about with my clients, you know, your emotional environment. So, you know, social media, for example, like how much stuff, because you talked about subconscious and we had a trainer recently off a guy who's, you know, really well-versed with mental health and mindset stuff. And he was saying, you know, 95% of the comparisons we do is on a subconscious level, for example, right? So how important do you feel like environment is when it comes to your, you know, emotional stability, self-esteem and, and confidence? Well, I think this goes right into your area of expertise. And this is where, you know, your part of that puzzle for people is really important, which is it's easier to be confident when you have your health together, right? Mm -hmm. If you're struggling with a health issue, it's harder to be confident. Listen, when you're hypothyroid, you've got no T3 in the brain, your neurotransmitters are out of control, you're fat, you're exhausted. You know, that is a, it's, it's more difficult to access happiness and confidence and self-esteem. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's more of a challenge, right? So one of the things that I do say in my book is, Hey, like, you can be 800 pounds on type 2 diabetes and still be confident, but likely you're going to be more confident the better your brain health is, right? The better your emotions are, that you're not a carbohydrate-dependent sugar burner whose energy is dropping, and then you're hangry, and then you snap at people. Ah, you know, that's not really great for self-esteem and confidence or hanging out with that person either, right? So I think that it is important. You could start on either path, but I think it's, it's, you're going to be more complete if you've got the, the health stuff together. The comparison thing is very interesting. So confident people don't compare, but they also don't compete and they're not jealous. So envy is me sort of going, oh man, oh, that's so cool. Martin has that private jet. Oh man. You know, and, and that's a little bit different. <laughs> and that's, that's a little bit different than, and that can be inspiring, but jealousy, jealousy is different. Jealousy is really what it is, is when you're jealous of someone, you're hoping they fail at the thing you wish you were succeeding at that they have achieved. And that is a a-hole move and it's never gonna get you anywhere. No one wants to hang out with je jealousy people because they're actually hoping for your failure. Mm. And so if you are a person that is jealous, oof. You it's just projecting your insecurities, isn't it? Really? You better get, yeah, I've never seen it backfire on more. I don't hang out with jealous people. If I sense people are jealous, it's like, nope, won't even bother because yep. I am, I, I don't, if you came to me or uh, I'm known as a super connector, like if my friends come to me and they're like, someone came to me and said, Hey, I want to be a podcaster or a writer. I'd be like, great. My first thing isn't like, Oh no, what if they become more famous or popular than me? Or what if they No, I'm great. I hope you do. 100%. I don't care because I know there's enough abundance to go around and that's a confidence mindset. So yeah. confident people don't compete. They encourage other people. Yeah. So uh, that's really important. And again, Good jealousy, point. I've always see it backfire. Like the jealous people, even if they get something they want, They'll find something else to be jealous about. And that is a little bit, the comparison is different, is interesting too, because comparing is almost like saying as well that there's not enough to go around and someone just took your place and therefore maybe you can't have it too. Yeah. Like, why do they, I heard this once, uh, someone said to me about someone who they thought was a very terrible person. And they said, it's just not fair. Like they have millions of dollars, but they're like a, such a big jerk. And I said, oh, it's fair. I said, mm. they're thinking right about money. Doesn't mean they have healthy relationships. Doesn't mean they're not struggling with a health issue. Doesn't mean they wake up every day and like every thought they have is miserable and they never enjoy life, but they're thinking right about money. That's all. It's fair. Do you know what I mean? 100%. It, it, and so it's the same thing that goes when, you know, in the health industry, when I always say this on interviews about health, when you know, let's say the next time you look at someone's body on the street, you're like, oh man, I wish I had her body or I wish I had that dude's body. I'd be like, Mm, let's check his blood work. 
to check the yeah. blood work first. I've seen a lot of skinny, fat, inflamed people with a lot of yeah, like, yeah. I don't know, you might want, you actually might want the body of the average guy with the gut. He actually might have better blood work makeup. So yeah. it's just, appearances can be very deceiving. You do not know what's going on in someone's head. But when you are comparing like that, like, oh, why does she get to do that? Because they're thinking right about that. And so can you. And yeah. they're not taking that away from you. Everybody, if I've learned anything through podcasting is that there's something for everybody. So for example, I've, you know, done over like 500 interviews, right? And there's been a couple people, it was rough, Martin, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I can imagine. Boring. Yeah, yeah. Some of the there's going to be a few little mishaps within that 500. Oh, <laughs> oh, like excruciating, excruciating. Now, I remember the timing, like, how does it, but like that person has a million followers on YouTube. Oh my God, there's someone for everybody. So when you compare or you're out there and going, well, you know what? The health coaching place is saturated and not, well, guess what? Not going to work out for you. You're yep. coming into that with that attitude and lack of confidence and self-esteem. How about I'm awesome and people will be drawn to me for me. Love that. You know what I mean? Love that. Uh, or, or my unique stuff, or I still have a place and I can just say that for everybody based on all the people I've interviewed and people that I've known in the health industry and in general, when people say that to me, like, well, isn't it oversaturated? I'm like, not for all of the other people making money at it. Mm. You know, um, it's just that they believe in themselves. They mm. know that there's someone out there that wants to get them. Another confidence thing was interesting. When I published my first book, someone called me up and they were like, so are you like checking Amazon reviews like every day? And I was like, absolutely not. In fact, the opposite. That would be me going out and like, do they like me? Do they like me? I don't care if you like me. Okay. Mm. Now that someone might go, well, oh, that's, that's stupid. You, you coach people, you, you, you're a speaker, you want people to like you. Sure. But if no one did, I'd be okay. All I cared about with that book was that I helped one person. If I could just, I wanted the publisher to make their money back and I wanted to help just one person transform their life. Turns out it was thousands of people. Yeah, I know. I saw, I looked, I looked at the reviews personally and I saw it was way more than one person. <laughs> yeah. It's like 500 five-star reviews. Those are all natural. I didn't have any sort of help from a Amazing. PR agency or reading list. And then, and someone then finally said years later, like, you know, you should probably actually go read your reviews. I still haven't read all of them, but here's the thing. If you're looking for that, you need to stop because you've got a confidence issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's like a validation. Is that like a validation kind of thing, right? Which comes, a lot of that comes down to low self-worth, doesn't it? Totally, because you're looking for, for example, uh, when quarantine happened here and lockdown happened here, I was like, I was like, oh, I got this. I was built for this. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm good, man. Living I'm the fine dream. with this. Because <laughs> I don't have FOMO. And I also, even though I seem very extroverted, I'm also introverted. I also, I don't get my sense of self-esteem from other people. I get mm. it from myself. I enjoy my own company. You know, those people, they go from relationship to relationship. Yeah. They can't be yeah. alone. That's a red freaking flag. If you can't enjoy your own company, I, you know, so for me, it was like, okay, this is a time to produce. Let's use it wisely. Let's have fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed like not getting invited places and having to say no. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. you know, it was actually like really great. I saw the good in it. But again, it, if you've got to get to a point where you enjoy your own company and people who sometimes have low self-esteem and are insecure, either are totally introverted and introverted and are shy and don't want to talk to people or the opposite. They're out at parties all the time, events and things like that, because they're getting their self-esteem fueled by this appearance that they're putting out there. Mm. But then inside they really can't operate and they're a yeah. mess. hundred you know? percent. I'm exactly the same. I can relate to that hundred percent because I'm exactly the same. I'm an extrovert and I can speak to people. And obviously I love yeah. that, 
but I'm, I draw my energy and actually recharge from just being on my own. And I actually love my own company uh, a bit too much sometimes, you know what I mean? So Same I can here. totally relate to that. Yeah. Same here. I remember I was uh, visiting my mother after sort of the quarantine and stuff, and she lives on the East Coast of the U.S. And she had been on antibiotics for something, and so she was very, you know, sleepy and not feeling great. So we weren't doing a lot, and she kept apologizing to me. She's like, I'm sorry, this is so boring. I just didn't know I would feel this way and get hit like this with the, and I'm so sorry. And I was like, uh you never have to apologize because it's not boring for me because I love my own thoughts. I don't, I could stare straight and look at water for 10 days. I don't, I'm fine. I'm totally yeah. fine. Yeah. And she just was kept apologizing. I was like, really? I am enjoying myself just doing nothing, sitting here, staring out the window, yeah. you know? Yeah. hundred percent. And I just wanted to say as well, the victim, the victim mentality, right? Like this mm. is very thing as well right you know playing the victim you know all of us have been there like we can it's easy to play the victim it feels good sometimes right you feel sorry for yourself you know and like you, you know you're just basically feeling sorry for yourself but it comes in many different forms i just wanted to ask you about that you know the victim mindset i feel like is a, is a very common thing and you can easily live your whole life there right you know because i you know in the past yes, I, I made the mistake of taking on like the wrong clients in the past and stuff right and they're playing the victim i would call them out on it uh, but even even that sometimes just wasn't enough to get them out of that state of mind. It was obviously deep-rooted problems and stuff like that, which yeah. they had unpacked. So, yeah, it's complicated, but it is common, right? I write about someone in my book who is worth millions and millions of dollars. So they already have what everyone would want in terms of money. But they had a lot of issues. And what they would do is it was a lot of parent stuff from the past and feeling like a victim of their childhood. And what they would do is they actually went to multiple therapists almost to continually imprint the victimhood by being like, aha, yet another psychology professional yeah. just told me my parents were terrible. And this is, so what they would say in conversation, let's say you, you'd say something or I'd say something, their remark and retort would be, well, you know what? You were raised differently. So, and finally I'd be like, nope, you don't get to do that anymore. At some point when you're an adult and you're aware of it, but they kept fueling that. The only thing that actually turned them around was mindset stuff I introduced them to. Like, the idea of creating your own reality, using intention, right? Being aware of your own thoughts completely changed their life, mm. you know? But before that, they were simmering in that. And back to ancestral stuff back in the day, a victim mindset would have meant death, mm -hmm. okay? You could not wallow in self-pity and be a you victim. You no time to play the victim when you got a lion after you. <laughs> and your tribe is going to bail on you eventually if you're the one that's yeah, whining and crying over in the corner. So this is a modern luxury. But, you know, yeah. I talk about in my book, there are no victims, only volunteers. Now, someone might say, hey, Elle, I didn't, you know, volunteer to get mugged last weekend. I was a victim of a crime. Yes, of course, we can all be victims of things like that. But then I would also say, well, if you keep getting mugged on the subway, you might need to look at some, some stuff. Or if you keep getting health problems, I didn't ask for hypothyroidism or a hand injury or any of the things that have happened to me. So I'm not talking about that as much as I'm talking about this mental victimhood. Um, and so one of the examples is I was at a, a gathering one time and a 50-year-old woman was ripping on her mother. And she was you could tell that she was a little bit embarrassed that everyone at the party was perhaps more established or more successful than her. And so her thing was, well, you know, if my mother had just, you know, pushed me a little bit harder and had more discipline, you know, like I'd obviously be somewhere else right now. And she was totally playing the victim. So I asked her, I said, okay, well, you're 50 now. At what age did you realize that your mom sucked? You know, at what age did you realize that she wasn't great? She didn't discipline you. When did that come into your head? And she was like, I don't know, maybe when I was 30 years old, I go stuff for the past freaking 20 years. 
you need to mother yourself. Like, what are you doing? You're still blaming your mom? You knew this. You knew this at 30. Why didn't you motivate yourself? Why didn't you discipline yourself? It's just, it's, it's insane. You know what I mean? Um, but people do this all the time. And again, it's their excuse for not doing the things they want to do or love to do or settling with what they have. Yeah. Or again, an ex, um, in that situation, I think it was her being embarrassed or feeling low self-esteem around other people that were more successful. And so she felt like she had to be like, oh, well, I'm not successful because see, my mom was a jerk. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, yeah, but if you've known that for 20 years, what have you been doing? You didn't do anything? You didn't do anything? From 30 to 50, you did nothing? Yeah. You just blamed your mom? I mean, that's the kind of stuff people do all of the time. So you have to look at how many times you're declaring things like, well, you know, if I was raised like this, or well, you know, you're lucky, you were raised a different, uh, you know what, one of my favorite spiritual teachers, Byron Katie, I don't know if you know who she is, but she's really well known, and she's very interesting. And she, uh, she, long story short, she, she was a mess of a person, a drug addict, jerk, terrible person, um, angry, and she had kind of an awakening, like a true sort of otherworldly type of awakening and became this incredible people that now people follow and admire and love and read all of her books. But her kids, her, one of her daughters, after she had this transformation was like, oh, oh, now you just have the transfer. Like, what about, uh, what about all the freaking times that you were drunk and you were a horrible person, but now you're some spiritual. Oh, okay. Like what, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Byron, and Byron Katie said to her daughter, mother yourself. Now that's really harsh coming from your own mom. Right. Yeah. But that's really the truth. So if you are above 18 or you are realizing that your parents were terrible, it is time to parent yourself because guess what, Martin? The truth is, is that then you allow them to win. Mm. You, what are you going to allow them to win? Now, it's not about proving them wrong. It's about proving yourself awesome, as I say. But you're really letting someone else's story of you or their treatment of you win. Mm. And, and like, ugh, mm. that's my like, goal in life. I never want anyone to do that to themselves. It's not necessary. You can parent yourself into greatness. You should start now. And mm. listen, forgiveness is tough because we think, well, that's like condoning it or excusing it, right? So it's mm. very hard for people to forgive parents or forgive people in their life who've abused them or hurt them or whatever it is. Uh, you know, maybe you got involved in the con man and took all your money. Like whatever this scenario is where you're still got this anger. Forgiveness is for you. I'm sure you've heard this before, but it really truly is. It's not condoning or excusing, but it's basically not allowing that person to charge and affect your current state. Mm. You know, like the woman who is 50 going, well, I'm a mess and not successful because of my mother. Mm. I mean, okay, if you're okay with that story, but you don't seem to be because mm. you're blaming her. But 20 years, like you said as well, it goes to show that people spend their whole lives, like I said, right? That's 20 oh, years gone, two decades of telling yourself a story, which, you know, you believe the true. It's, it's only true because you believe it, right? As simple as that. But um, I was going to say as well, because I've been seeing a therapist myself. I'll be, I'll be open about that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been very, very transformative for me already. And she Good. said to me one time, because some stuff happened in my childhood, right? And it was like, she, she said it's like a, like a form of PTSD. But it's, it's very common, right? It sounds like, you know, yes. but, but I was just like, I walked away and it was just a good conversation, unpacked a lot of stuff. It felt really good to talk about that kind of stuff that happened in my childhood. And she was, and I just walked away thinking that though. I thought, wow, like if I was to play the victim now, if I was in that mindset of, oh, I've got PTSD, just like you said then, go and tell everyone about, oh yeah, the therapist said I've got PTSD. You know what I mean? So that's why this has happened. That's what, and I could easily just wallow in that, like you said, right? I just thought it was interesting, you know? But instead you're like, no, no, no. 
let me do my best to heal this PTSD, right? Let me do my best to get to a point where it perhaps no longer affects me or maybe isn't even there, Mm. right? And that's the goal. So you could simmer in it like you could. You could have made it your excuse, right, Mm -hmm. for something. And so we do have a lot of, and and it's, it's in minor ways that we have excuses and stories about things. Like I remember when I first moved out to California many, many years ago and all my friends in the freezing cold Midwest we're like, oh, I remember people be like, oh, I, love, I always wanted to move to California. Like, I love California, man. I wish I could live in California. I'm like, then why don't you? And then I'd hear a whole bunch of excuses, right, as to why they couldn't move to California. Yeah, yeah. And then I would be like, then you don't really want it. Yep. They'll say, I mean, they'll say it's you want funny, to do it. It's so funny you say that because obviously I've moved to the other side of the wall, right? As you may know, I'm from the UK. Yep. I lived in Australia for four and a half years and I get the same thing. They're like, oh man, like, I don't know how you, how, how did you do that? Like, I was like, I just got on a plane and went, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't think you really wanted it though. If yeah, you really I did. Wanted I wanted it. it big time. You wanted it. So you found me. it. So when yep. people, and I remember one time I my cousin who was even more of a direct communication than I am, a friend was talking about around us about how they really wanted to quit smoking. And my cousin just goes, no, you don't. You don't want to quit smoking. She goes, no, I totally do. She goes, no, you don't. Or you'd be doing it. You'd already done it. You don't really want it True. until you get to the point where you really want it. That's when you'll quit. And I was just like, oof, well said. I got nothing to say to that. That's like, a good it's one. I true. like that one. I like it's that harsh. one. It's harsh. It's true. Yes. <laughs> but if you really wanted to be doing it, you'd be doing it. If you're not doing it, you're doing a whole lot of, you know, nothing. And so it is interesting, the stories we tell. It's also the self-talk. It's, you know, there's people that are like, there's no one for me. You know, I'm disabled or I'm this or I'm too ugly. That's just not true. There really is someone for everyone I've seen in every capacity, every mm. height, size, shape, you know, yep. everything. I, I've Definitely. seen it. And so, you know, there's someone for everybody. But again, if that's your story, yep. right, no yep. one's going to like me because. Yep. And, and, you know, I had that too. So in the chapter six of my book, I talk about this heart, arm, hand disability that I sustained 20 years ago. And it was de- debilitating. I actually couldn't even lift a fork to my mouth at the time. I could not even run my fingers through my hair. I literally could barely move my arms. So it was a disaster. And I didn't know that it was going to get better. I still have the condition, but with all of the health stuff I do, you know, I'm able to have full mobility, but I could never work a job that requires eight hours a day, five days a week with my hands. I literally oh. cannot. And I haven't for many years. And so what that did, I, that chapter is titled shame disables confidence. Okay. So we, everyone's maybe got some shame about something, but for me, it was being an alpha female and then getting quote disabled and feeling like, Oh no, who's going to want me? Who's going to want me and feeling defective. And because it's something you can't see, I hit it. I hit it. I hit it from so many people. I mean, my friends, my family, of course, all the hand surgeons, doctors, like everyone else knew, but like I'd meet new people and I wouldn't tell romantic partners, Martin, because mm. I was so scared that they'd reject me. Maybe they'd think I was a liability. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm an alpha, a defective. I don't want to be vulnerable. You know, yeah, it was a wow. very traumatic story for me. It was tra- traumatizing to be told that you're freaking 40% disabled yeah. by the state of California when you're 22, yeah. you know, and you're just starting your life. So this was a horrible traumatic thing for me. And I kept actually re-imprinting the trauma by having the shame about it. And I did a talk one time called the shame of disability and the disability of shame, because the shame was more disabling than the freaking condition itself. You know, I have mm-hmm. tendonitis, mm-hmm. like a, like a baseball player, you know, repetitive strain yeah, injury. Yeah. And so, um, this crippled me. And so my journey to being confident as F was me fixing that piece. Because while I was confident in every area of my life, I was not confident in romantic relationships or friendships and being vulnerable and sharing the story about me. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? It's and so, I actually so, didn't do it for two decades until yeah. recently. In fact, when I came out with my book, people were like, I had no idea. And I'm like, exactly. Yeah. That was the goal that nobody knew. But I, and here's the thing. I couldn't even say what I just said to you like five years ago because I would have been bawling, crying and snot coming out of my nose because I was so ashamed and horrified and like re-traumatized by all of it. But now, you know, I see what an inspiring story it is because when that happened to me at 22, that's why I was in the corporate world of technology. I had to find a way to use my voice, which is mm. why I'm an actor. So all of these exactly. years has led up to all where we skills. are now. Yep. Right. So, so it's now an inspiring story, which I never thought I'd ever tell because I was too embarrassed to tell anyone I was disabled. Right. Exactly. So that was my last piece. So the truth is, is that if you think you're shuffling something under the rug over here and some shame over here, it's, it, it's going to get you. It's, you know, it's, it's so funny you. you say that, right, Al, because I put a post up last week on my Instagram and I, I had to speak to, like, I've got a mentor myself and I had to speak to my mentor. Do I put this out there? Right. And basically I'll openly say, in my 20s, I used to party a lot and stuff like that, right? And I got a bit carried away. One oh, time was this I tried the post this. Oh, you in the hospital? Yeah, did you see that? Yeah, yeah. and um, obviously, you know, GHB, right? So don't recommend anyone try that at home, right? <laughs> Definitely not on a serious note. But yeah, obviously, I ended up in hospital, took that GHB, you know, on a night out when I was drinking. And yeah, obviously, almost cost my life. And I shared that. And obviously, you got the amount of people that messaged me and they were like, that was so helpful. But I was too scared, like for all this time up until last week to actually share that part of my past. But the reality is, it's actually just attracted more people to me, more people reaching out saying that was so valuable to know that I went through something similar. What's that? Yeah, because you were vulnerable and open exactly. like a real human being, right? Sharing exactly. something that is seemingly negative or embarrassing yep. with yep. other people. And that's human nature, right? Mm. Yeah. And you know what's so funny about that? So here's a perfect example. So you were maybe dealing with the shame of, do I, don't I? Yeah, Meanwhile, exactly. I was shamed about my arms, but I'll tell everyone I tripped on acid 60 times in high school and I've said it on podcasts and whatever. <laughs> I had no shame about that. Yeah. So it's interesting how. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't again, care. If I, I, I don't the recommend it. Yeah. I haven't done it in many years, but yep. I was a party kid growing up in downtown Chicago. We had fake IDs when we were 15. We were at the bars ordering, you know, like hard liquor <laughs> the dream drinks. In so Chicago. We were living the wow. dream. Yeah, we were living the party dream. So uh, I tripped on acid many, many, many times. And now, you know, plant medicines are very wow. popular and things like that. I never had any shame about that, but I had shame about me being injured. And here's the other thing about shame. Well-meaning people around you, when you express it, will say things like, yeah, you should be ashamed about that. It's not your fault mm. or oh, whatever. You know what, Martin? So what? You made an accident. Tons of people take drugs, right? Mm. It seems well-meaning and it is, but it also is calling you ridiculous for being ashamed about it. And that doesn't help either. No, it no, digs exactly. it in deeper. So you got to get flat with shame. There's lots of things I talk about in my book that you got to kind of go through. You got to clean up and scrape the barnacles off your life. And the last one is that very substantial chapter about my whole disability story and my journey with that. And it really screwed up personal romantic. And, and you know what it was about friendships? I always, before I was open about it, I always kept myself on outside of friendships because I didn't want anyone to get to know me too well because if they did, then maybe they'd find out I was disabled and then ask questions and I don't want to get into it. And, but that separated me from having perhaps some closer friendships and connections with mm. people. No yep. woulda, coulda, shouldas, but moving forward, right? And part of that is, so let's say you and I are becoming friends. I'm too ashamed of my story. You're telling me deep stuff about yourself. We're becoming buds. I, in my, in my world of the person that's hiding that, I'm thinking, or it's going to be subconscious, like, well, 
I don't know if he really cares about me or truly likes me as a human being because he doesn't really know the full of who I am because I haven't told you. Now, that's not to say you've got to go do a Facebook story or write a chapter about your shame. There might be some things you take to the grave, but you got to get to the point where you have no shame about your shame. So whether you get flat with it with a therapist and you're good and you hide it, or whether or not, you know, you have to come out with it somehow. Um, so I'm not saying you have to, you know, declare it from the rooftops, but you yeah, have yeah. to get good with it. So that's what killed me was my shame about my physical disability. So much so I didn't even tell Mark Sisson until a couple of years from working for him. I didn't need to. Yeah. The reason I told him ultimately, and, you know, it really choked me up on the audiobook uh, when I was recording it is, he would never know the depths of my gratitude for giving me a platform for my voice because I can't use my hands like other people if yeah. he never knew about my hands. Yeah, and wow. I thought, well, that would be really horrible, wouldn't it? This guy's been amazing to me. And I, and I express gratitude along the way, but he doesn't understand the depths of that, what it really means to my life as mm. someone who has, you know, we live in a hand-based world, Martin. Yeah, People yeah, in wheelchairs have more job opportunities than I do. I can't work at Starbucks. I can't be a waiter, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yep. So that shame almost prevented me from, right? And so I opened up to him. I'm bawling my eyes out when I told him. And he was, of course, so sweet and wonderful and nice and everything. Right. Um, and then I went back to a couple of friends and I, I kind of opened up. I said, all right, look, you know, you've been so open and vulnerable with me and I like you. And we're just not going to be able to get closer unless I kind of, can share this part of my life with you that I still have moments with. I don't uh, live, I live 95% pain free, but I have moments and I want to be able to talk about it with people in my life when I do. I also need my friends to know that I can't do certain things. They so don't think I'm lazy because I'm not washing the dishes after dinner at their house, right? You yep, know, because yep. I am a person that wants to help. Mm -hmm. So I realized I had to just come out with it. And mm -hmm. um, wow, it's really changed my world. And the long story short, uh, I talk about it in my book, but the two times I tried it with strangers in our industry with a couple of fellow podcasters, they revealed right away they had a hidden hand disability too. So the moment I decide to be vulnerable and open and just come out with it and just share it, I meet two women that have unseen, just like me, serious hand injury disabilities. And what are the odds of that? Like yeah. if that wasn't the universe. Saying, you've literally potentially changed two people's lives, literally just because they've come out and talked about it. And also just because I now know two people. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, that, like, you know, that I'm less alone right now all of a sudden. Yeah. And then I'm less alone. And also I'm going, well, you know, if that's not a sign from the universe or aliens or whatever you believe in, then I needed to keep going on this vulnerability train yep. to talk about this. I don't know what is when you talk about it twice in two weeks and just try it out being vulnerable and open. And those two people you talk to also have a hand disability you had no idea about. What are what the odds that? What's the odds? Exactly. It's obviously more common than what you think, right? As well. That people think well, that not more common, but just like, yeah, a great, a yeah. great life. Ooh, keep going. So I kept going. And then I finally wrote, you know, uh, you know, a chapter in my book about it. I give speeches on it. And I think it's very important because shame is very disabling because it is a sense of unworthiness. So get back to the self-esteem part we talked about earlier is I had a sense of unworthiness in those arenas, right? Mm. Especially romantically because of the shame I had. Mm. But I was confident in every other area of my life. Yeah. So, but that was holding you back a bit. It, you know what I mean? Until I had you, to get until all you, focusing. I had to put it all together to be yep. confident as F. I had to get rid of, clean this yep. up over here. 
And furthermore, how, how was I ever going to have a vulnerable, open, emotionally, you know, um, verbal intimacy with a man and a romantic partner if I wasn't willing to be open and vulnerable myself? So mm-hmm. I attracted kind of emotional robots and things like that. And finally, my coach pointed out to me, he's like, well, are you telling people about your like major life story? That's the huge centerpiece of your life. And I said, no. And he goes, well, then guess what? You're the robot. What do you expect? Yeah. You expect to find people that may be open and emotionally available to you exactly. when you're at close up. And I was like, oh, that, that's a good coach right there. It's like a katana sword right in the stomach. I, I was like, oh, it hurts so bad, but it's so true, you yeah, know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, so just, um, that was really, really good. I appreciate you sharing that. And just to shift gears now and just to finish this off, I was going to ask you, what stands out to me a word when it comes to confidence is momentum, right? So Ooh. getting that momentum because when people think confidence, they think, oh, you know, some people might be telling themselves a story now. It's okay for them too. They're confident people. It's like, no, basically when you get momentum and you, you, may, you get small wins, it's what I talk a lot about to clients when it comes to mindset, tiny, small wins, the compound effect yes. of those small wins, the momentum you get is what gets you to that place where you're much more confident. You've got more confidence in yourself. Uh, and then obviously your confidence just levels up in general, right? Because you're taking care of yourself or whatever, like you said. So momentum. It's important, right? When it comes to confidence. And perseverance. Perseverance. But I love the word momentum. You know, I haven't even like heard that in a while. And I like that. I really like that. Because you know what it is? It's about earlier we talked about the haircut, right? It starts small. Maybe your steak comes to you and it's medium rare and you ask for medium, but you're the person that never says anything. Well, you know what? You can start small, right? It's like you with health, (laughs) micro commitments, right? Yeah. You know, certain steps, certain things. Maybe you don't change anything about your diet other than getting rid of the crappy oils. I mean, Mm. maybe that's, the baby step. Mm. So sometimes you might have to baby step before you start declaring boundaries and speaking up to bullies, you know, I mean, it depends on where you're at, but you can build it. And the more you do it, um, but here's the thing, this is really the truth about everything in life when it comes to mindset or spirituality or anything, you will keep whatever in your life that keeps happening that you hate, right? Okay. Whether it's like, you always get fired from the job, you know, you never get the raise, whatever the thing is like, Brandon, you keep, you know, getting blamed for stuff that's not your fault. Whatever the theme is, unless you do something about it, it's going to keep happening. It's, yeah. it's, you have to, you have to make a move or it will not stop. Mm. And that's why my challenge over here was relentless, you know, with the shame and the romantic, like that whole thing kept happening, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember people being like, not happening to anyone else, but you like, I'm the common denominator here. Right. And, and same goes for, for other people in other situations, right? Mm-hmm. So I just think it's really important to look at, um, again, baby steps and also, and it sounds really cheesy to say that, baby steps, but also what theme do you not like? Because that's you and you can change it. But until you step up, you're going to keep getting thrown the challenge. Mm. You're going to keep not getting the haircut you like. You're going to keep getting blamed for things that aren't your fault. This is going to keep happening to you. And they are usually things that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Right, or I'm going to keep running into guys that are emotionally unavailable. <laughs> like, whatever the thing is, until you finally step up and go, Oh my God. And that's what I asked my coach at the time. It was like about eight years ago. And I said, I can't believe this. What am I going to do? I broke up with a guy. He was wonderful and everything, except he was kind of emotionally unavailable. And, and that was a big deal breaker, but he was wonderful. And he said, You're going to have to start to get vulnerable. You know, you're yeah. just going to have to be vulnerable. People are going to have to work on this. And I was like, ugh. You know, Martin, I almost want to like, ugh. I wanted to throw like, I did not, <laughs> not want to hear that. I was like, ugh, the word vulnerable for me is like, ugh. But, but the truth is, is that I'm completely vulnerable with my clients. I'm completely vulnerable with people one-on-one. I just, again, had this shame in there that was just so tough in romantic relationships and, and some friendships because of the shame I had. Hmm. So 
whatever keeps happening. So that was the thing that kept happening to me that I didn't like. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had to go, Oh my God, this keeps happening over here. I've got no problems over here. So just ask yourself if you're out there listening, what problems keep happening to you that are your problem? Cause you see them in your friends, right? Like, Oh, Martin always this or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. what is going on with you that sucks that keeps happening? That seems like you're cursed. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing you've got to step up. That's on you. And you're going to get a tester. Once you overcome it, you know, mm -hmm. once you speak up to a bully once, you probably won't get bullied for a while, but then you might want to have one slip in there. Yeah. yeah. Be ready for exactly. it. Take ownership then, right? Take ownership. Whatever problems you're facing, if you're listening now, yep. take ownership. And then that's when you can really get the momentum, right? Because otherwise, if you don't take ownership, obviously you're going to be potentially playing the victim then, right? And blaming other circumstances or whatever it is, right? For whatever yes. problems they are. Thanks and a lot, sure Al. Feel this way. Let me ask you this, because I think uh, I think you probably feel this way too. And you're an exercise guy, and so am I. Yep. But people would be surprised to hear probably that you and I. I mean, I'm I'm going to lump you into this, but there okay. are days. Let me where in. There's there are days where I argue all the way to the pool. I'm like yep. thinking about turning around. I don't want to go, not because I'm pushing it and I'm exhausted. I wouldn't do that, but because I'm mentally lazy about it for some reason. I don't feel like it but I do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I go and do it anyway. Now, if I were exhausted, didn't get sleep, I would not push a workout. I know what that does to the adrenals. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that. Um, and you would never coach anyone to push through something like no, that. Exactly. But, but those are the, again, it's a commitment we make and we know it's going to feel great afterwards. So we do it. But I have fought myself all the way up to being in the bikini at the poolside, being like, I do not want to do that. I already drove yourself. there, everything. And then, you know, of course, afterwards, I'm like, this was the best thing ever. I'm so glad I did it. So exactly. I think sometimes it's like speaking up as well. It's not fun at first. You don't want to do it. You might be fighting all the way to the boss's office to ask for the raise or whatever it is, but you have to do it or you're never going to get what you want. From the bedroom 100%. to the boardroom, it doesn't matter. Yeah, definitely. And that's something I say to myself when I'm lying in bed sometimes and I know I've got to get up and do a workout and that little, I call it the inner bitch voice, right? Yep. Is like loud. And I just say to myself, like, pick your pain. Which pain do you want? Do you want the pain of not getting your workout in? And then the knock-on effect of that, you're not as productive, your mood's lower, da 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 Or do you want the pain of just getting out of bed right now? I think I know which one I'll choose. <laughs> But sometimes it's a battle. And I think people don't think that way for people. They don't think that we have those moments, but we do. Exactly I even interviewed Gabrielle Reese. She said the same thing. She's like a professional athlete. She's like, I sometimes have to argue with myself uh, on several days of the week. Mm, 100%. We're exactly the same as everyone else, right? It's just actually doing it or not doing it. That's what it comes down to, isn't it? The difference, yeah. Lovely. Thanks a lot, Al, for your time. Really, oh, where can, uh, where can, I'm going to add your, your book and I'm going to add you know, your socials. Where's the sure. best place for the audience to find you? Sure. Everyone can go to lrust.com. I have a couple free gifts. First of all, if you have a thyroid problem, there's a free thyroid guide, but I also have a free audio book of guided meditations and affirmations on confidence, abundance, and also health, but guided meditations on health. So if you are struggling or you're working through trying to lose your health, that could be good. And those are free on my website. And then everything else you need to know about me is there, all my books and everything, Amazon, et cetera. Awesome. I'll add your book, like I said, to the show notes anyway and your socials and stuff. So appreciate your time, Mel. Thanks a lot. That was a great conversation. Really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.